Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to be Curious. And over the course of this month, we have been talking with women leaders. This is dovetailing with the program we're running right now, Women Leading with Productive Curiosity. And we're really delving in to get curious about the experience of women in leadership, gender equity, and parity. We've also been talking about what it's like to be leading in this environment that we're living in right now, this environment where we're experiencing still a global pandemic and where issues of race and equity are rising up to the surface. And today's guest intersects in all of those places, so we can't wait to talk to her. Just before we introduce our guest, though, I want to introduce Amelia Winger, who is an intern for Courage to be Curious, a journalism and political science student at Temple University, and an amazingly curious and uh, and powerfully strong young woman who has now joined the Courage to be Curious team. So welcome, Amelia. Hi, everyone. It's nice to finally like formally meet everyone. <laughs> And Amelia is going to be conducting part of this conversation today, a leading part of this conversation, and excited to have her as another voice in the Courage to be Curious platform. So to introduce today's guest, we have um, a dear friend, colleague of mine, Leslie Stern Richards, probably the thing she's least known for, but is big and prominent in my world, is our children went to preschool together, which is how we first came in contact with one another. What people might know her for in this current moment, though, is that she is the 11th general manager of SEPTA and the second, only the second woman to ever lead SEPTA. And she has a whole host of other things she's going to tell you about her trajectory to that point. But welcome, Leslie. And it is so exciting to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me. And so, as I mentioned, Leslie, you meet at this intersection, both of gender issues that we talk about, women in leadership, equity and diversity, as well as management through something as huge as a global pandemic. And you only started in SEPTA a short while ago when all of this landed on your lap. So before we get into the details of that, just to, I wanted to just set the context, but you know, who are you? <laughs> you know, and what was your trajectory of leadership? how you started in your professional career to getting to this place as the head of SEPTA and one of the largest organizations in the Philadelphia region and Southeastern Pennsylvania region. Right. Well, definitely not the stereotypical uh, career path that uh, a general manager of a large transit agency um, would have. I started out um, because of my interest in the environment and sustainability worked for the EPA. I worked for um, Philadelphia Planning Commission for a little while. I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years. Uh, I have three children who are now 24, 21, and 19. Um, I went back into the workforce uh, at an environmental engineering firm. I believe uh, that's when we met, Adina. I was working for a firm in, uh, locally uh, near uh, in Conshohocken and uh, went from doing air quality and water quality issues uh, to uh, being able to work on transportation-related projects and was uh, fortunate enough to work on the largest transportation project at the time in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which was the I-95 interchange project. Got to get out there, meet people, and really enjoyed, um, you know, where people matter, right? Everyone thinks I'm in the transportation business, but I'm really in the people business. That's, you know, how um, I think of it as well. 
and uh, was very interested in, in seeing how these large transportation projects uh, impact and improve, have the ability to improve the quality of life of people um, who who live near them and uh, and and who need them right to to um, to to get where they need to go, and so I had that wonderful opportunity. Uh, then I went to a civil engineering firm uh, while I was doing that, and while I was a stay-at-home mom, I got very involved in my community. I was uh, helped run Township Day. I ran the pony booth and uh, the prize booth um, pony rides. And then my park and rec board, and then I joined my planning commission, and then I was asked to run for office, uh, chair of, I became the chair of the White Mush Township uh, Board of Supervisors after knocking on doors and figuring out how could I really impact what's important to me uh, in my neighborhood. And I loved that experience uh, while trying to preserve uh, a large farm uh, in our township. I went in front of our county commissioners and realized that I was being represented by three white men who did not have uh, the, the type of background that I had, um, an open space preservation, economic development, transportation, infrastructure. And those are a big part of the responsibilities of a county commissioner. And I put my name in and again, um, you know, ran very hard and uh, was uh, very, um, you know, uh, grateful uh, to get uh, the, the votes that I did to win that as well uh, and become a Montgomery County Commissioner. Uh, surprising myself, uh, I realized uh, having that public role, um, I was able to have a larger impact. Uh, I was able to impact people in, a, in ways I could never have even imagined, and I was able to improve the quality of life more so than I could at my engineering firm. Uh, or at the civil engineering firm that I that I had left the engine, uh, the environmental one uh, to join, and so I found myself in this public space. And in that public space, I also met a gentleman by the name of Tom Wolf, um, who at the time was a businessman from York, and uh, he um, runs for governor. And we uh, become, uh, we share our stories and uh, he had been watching at, at what we had been doing in Montgomery County. And uh, I told him that I fully supported, I really valued uh, his approach and what he wanted to do for the Commonwealth and I wanted to help him in any way I could. And was absolutely thrilled um, that that conversation resulted in uh, my being uh, the first female to lead the Department of Transportation for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And so being uh, the first female PennDOT secretary uh, was just phenomenal. I loved it. Obviously, it was a very hard job to leave. But when I realized the things I loved about it most, again, came back to improving people's quality of life. It was impacting people. Uh, it was looking at things such as uh, gender neutral language. Um, I was referred to as a man and everything uh, that I did because a woman had never held my position. Uh, it was working with uh, the Secretary of Corrections and figuring out ways to give people second chances who had been paroled out of the state uh, correctional system and then expanding that uh, to the county. It was the ability to hire people with disabilities and, and give them meaningful work that paid good wages. Uh, it was uh, the opportunity to work on human trafficking and uh, 
and help educate people and, and, and uh, truly save lives and get people out of that awful um, situation. And so when I realized those were the things that I loved most and uh, when uh, someone who I'm very grateful to, the chairman of our board came up to me after a turnpike meeting where I was the chair of the turnpike commission, he was on the commission, asked if I'd be interested in coming over to SEPTA. I realized that all the things I loved at the last job I had, I would be able to do in a real way here. And so I was just thrilled uh, when the board um, also felt the same way. And so I started this job at SEPTA in January. Uh, so I've been here just six months. Right, and a very eventful set of six months. Mm -hmm. This trajectory and this, like, this common theme of really being about people. Um, I'm curious about how that got met. So was that a, a perspective that you would share in these positions and how did that get met when you would bring that forward? Or was that something that you kept personal to yourself as your motivator? You know what, it's interesting. Um, at first I did keep it to myself. Um, at first I kept a lot of things to myself because I wasn't really sure how to be myself in these jobs. Uh, there was no one that looked like me and in the jobs that I had um, in politics, which was very difficult to bring that to. I was often uh, the only woman in the room, often the only woman uh, who had a vote on the boards that uh, I served on. And then of course, uh, at PennDOT being the first female, um, at first I wasn't quite sure. And also um, leading an agency um, that uh, over 80% are men uh, was also a challenge. And so uh, politics, helped. I realized that I could be myself and I could um, share my ideas and I could have an impact. And so I brought that with me uh, to, to the DOT and I bring that with me every day here as well. And I did find that once I realized how to be myself, I actually was better at every job that I had. Uh, because I could trust that and also found it um, liberating in many ways. I didn't have to um, fit into any type of category. No one expected me to be anyway because no one ever had seen anyone like me in those positions. And so uh, I began to take advantage of that. And the more I took advantage of that, um, the more I was able to accomplish. Right. It must have resulted in your being seen by people because whatever it is you were bringing to the table as your authentic self had to have been received for to continue to, down this path. What were the things that you did grapple with the most as a woman when you entered the world of politics? And certainly the position that you're in now, you know, of course, is still a political position. You may not be in a public office like you were when you were working for the Commonwealth, but it's a it's a public place and it's surrounded by politics, I'm sure. So what were some of the things you've grappled with most? Well, I would say um, the one thing, and, and you're aware of it because I came to you, first of all, I'm very good at asking for help. I think that's one thing that people really need to do. Like you can't solve everything yourself. And uh, I know sometimes it's hard to ask for help because you don't want to be a burden to somebody else. Um, but uh, I have always found that um, once you ask for help, uh, people want to help you. First of all, I know I want to help people when they ask me for help. So try to try to stop, you know, thinking that way. And uh, in politics, I was becoming very angry about being the only woman. It just seemed so unfair. And it seemed like our voices were not heard. Of course, this was back, it started back in 2007, when I first ran for township supervisor. 
And uh, I remember coming to you thinking, how can I get women uh, to have a louder voice at these decision-making uh, moments? And every board that I was on, I was also either the only woman or one of a very few women. And I started to realize something that a lot of men already knew. And that was when you can be on boards where important decisions are made, you make important networks, you make important um, relationships that can propel you um, and so many other things that you do. And uh, so in discussing how to get more women engaged in the political process and being part of uh, decision-making, uh, you were very helpful. And we came up with the idea of Plan W, which started off as a PAC, um, prominent leadership um, and appointments and networking for women. And uh, it became very obvious to me as a county commissioner that I got to appoint to some very important boards, including the SEPTA board, including the convention center, uh, including at the time Blue Cross. And knowing that, um, you know, that's how it gets done. I had never thought about it before. Uh, we started raising money and asking candidates as well as elected officials once they got in office if they would agree to put more women uh, into those appointments. And it had a very quick uh, impact. We were able, other people, we uh, definitely hit a nerve with other people. We raised over $100,000 in just one year. And uh, people started calling us and we were able to get a lot of women uh, on important boards. I think that was the beginning. That was back um in uh, probably 2012, 2013. And uh, I still get calls uh, for, you know, we are known for putting up good names of uh, very qualified women uh, to serve uh, on board and appointed positions. And it's something I'm extremely proud of. It was something that hadn't been done before. Uh, we aimed at township elected and county elected offices, something again, that doesn't get a lot of attention. Most people think you have to donate to someone running for a federal office or a statewide office to have an impact, but um, you actually can have a very strong impact at the local level. And uh, so I was very proud of that and I still am. And it just showed me that you can take a challenge that is so hard to solve, such as getting more women um, around important uh, conversations and more, and even more important than that, getting them as part of the decision-making process and after, um, you know, really thinking about it and getting, remember, we put together a working group. We discussed how could we do this. And now it just seems so simple, but it wasn't so simple to put that all together. And uh, so I'm really um, proud of the fact that we were able to do that. And it's really shown me that no matter how hard the challenge is in front of you, even if it's an old challenge that has existed for a really long time, you can find a impactful way to make a difference. So one of the things, you know, building off of that description of recognizing how important it is to have women in these roles, one of the things I hear a lot, I hear a lot from women in corporate America. In fact, someone we just heard from a couple of weeks ago who worked in corporate America for 30 years and left to start her own women's organization talks about the fact of how hard it is to stay true to themselves, how hard it is to be heard um, in environments that are d dominated by men. 
Um, and sometimes feeling as though they have to make trade-offs or choices that I have to fit in with the culture of way things are rather than behaving in a way that seems true to me. So I would love to ask you to share a bit about your experience and how you've navigated this space because women do operate differently than men in a lot of ways. And so how have you stayed true and what things have you figured out along the way? Yeah. Well, I, I, I learned once I learned to be myself, I mean, I have to say, I really doubled down on that, right? And I, you know, I, I've shared a lot of things, things that I would be scared to share uh, before. An example is, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years, and that was something that I never, ever spoke about um, because I didn't want people who had stayed um, in, in the working world to think, you know, I was a slacker, or I didn't take my job seriously. And... Um, once I started to share that, I realized um, how many people needed to hear it. Both men and women would come up to me afterwards when I would share that, whether I was on a panel or talking to a group, and tell me how important that was to them. Um, you, know, uh, you know, men obviously are parenting partners as well, and they're trying to figure out uh, the right way for their family unit uh, to to work out um, in a way that uh, everybody, um, you know, is uh, it gets a chance uh, to grow professionally and personally, and make sure that you share things. And so, you know, men were just as interested uh, as, as women. Uh, one way where sharing that also, um, you know, uh, you know, became uh, really important was. Um, when the governor asked me to, to become part of his cabinet uh, as PennDOT secretary, uh, I live uh, an hour and 45 minutes from Harrisburg. And at the time I had two high school children at home. And I said, well, I love that opportunity. I just have to let you know that I do not want to live in Harrisburg uh, during the week and miss out seeing my children on a daily basis. It's really important for me. Um, high school years are, are very important and I don't wanna miss out on, on all of the activities. At the time, my uh, middle child, you know, was gonna, her prom was coming up, you know, the, all, this, all the special things that come with senior year were coming up and I just didn't want to have to be at work and, and miss out. And I said, uh, you know, I promise you, I will be on the road early and uh, I will work um, all the time as much as needed, uh, but I need to come in a little later and I'm going to start my meetings at 10 in the morning because I'll be uh, at home and we're going to have breakfast together, and then I'm going to get in the car, and I'll be on my way to Harrisburg, and I'll be available by phone. And he's a, you know, he's a father of two daughters, and he actually thought that was terrific. I was, you know, worried to tell him, but I wanted to say it up front so that it wouldn't be something I would have to hide, and it wouldn't be something that I'd have to work around. What was very interesting is when we did evaluations and I did, uh, I know I asked my staff to evaluate me. We did a 360 uh, evaluation. One of my highest, um, you know, uh, rated questions, they asked if I was accessible to them. And the answers were that I was accessible to them in ways that other PennDOT secretaries had never been because they knew that they could reach me in my car every single day from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. and that I would answer. And so nothing ever got pushed to the side because they always knew that that was a time where they could have my undivided attention and, um, you know, 
they could ask me anything and uh, we could brainstorm on anything. And again, it would be two hours on the way home. And so something that I really thought was going to be um, possibly held against me or, or uh, make people think that uh, I wasn't fully committed to my job um, actually became something that made me very well suited for my job and, and made me able to do things that others have not um, been able to, to address in that way. So I love that. I, you know, the idea of having the courage to put up front and say what was important to you and then hold to that and allow others to see the benefits of your saying that to feel the courage modeled so that others would feel free to be able to articulate what was true for them as well. And I think that's a big piece of it. You mentioned something earlier about, you know, other people needed to hear it too. When you talked about being a stay-at-home mom, that others need to hear it. And when we take those courageous steps or we go out, you know, we challenge something and that might be a norm is that we don't just do it for ourselves. We do it for others as well, which is an amazing way to lead. So let's look at this now. You, January, you took over SEPTA and you get about two months and then suddenly we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And then not long into the global pandemic, um, we have the, the, the killing death of um, George Floyd and the amplification of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that ensue. And you are now the white head of a 60% minority organization. So I first want to look, before we look at the organizational leadership, I would just want to look inside you. You know, what were the things either that were maybe tried and true from what you knew about yourself and your own leadership that you could draw upon? And then what things did you have to examine more deeply as you found yourself in this place? Mm-hmm. Well, as I mentioned before, what drew me to this job was the ability to work um, at, at a real, um, I would say, human scale with communities. Um, Equity is inherent in everything that transit touches. It's accessibility, it's uh, affordability, it's providing opportunities um, to to people in um, economically disadvantaged neighborhoods. Um, It has has the ability uh, truly um, to provide opportunity, right? We are you know, as I said before, I'm in the people business and I want to provide opportunities uh, to people. And transit uh, allows us to do that. And so um, before, uh, before the murder of George Floyd, we were working um, toward um, those goals. We changed our fare proposal, again, to be more equitable Um, We made sure that um, you could transfer uh, throughout our system in in a better way than you could before I got here and at at less of a cost. You could use the network. Um, We could cut down on travel time. Somebody who would do a very long bus ride from point A to point B could now take the bus, hop on our subway, and um, we've shown on many different routes, save as much as 20 minutes or more each way, you know, give them time. And uh, as we've seen, uh, especially through this pandemic, that essential workers in low-paying jobs need transit. 
the people who stock your grocery stores, the people who deliver your packages, the people who clean um, hospital rooms, the people who feed those working in essential businesses, uh, many of them rely on transit to get them to these essential jobs. And I think it has truly highlighted um, transit's role. And the reason I mention all of those things is because we were working on them prior uh, to the murder of George Floyd. And now I feel that we have an opportunity with what's going on around us in the current reality uh, with the pandemic, as well as with um, the conversation around diversity and racial equity to do even more and to have more people working with us. And so as far as looking in myself, um, while I have taken on jobs that I wasn't so sure or wasn't so confident um, that I um, had all that it took, you know, to move forward, um, I am so grateful to be in this position right now with everything that is, that is going on around us. Um, I am so inspired um, and excited to work on these very difficult challenges, just like I mentioned with Plan W, not having enough women in politics and around important decision-making tables. We need to look at um, the issues of racial inequity. We need to make sure that SEPTA um, is a place where everybody uh, feels welcome and included. And we have to make sure that anybody can um, start at SEPTA and work their way all the way to the top. And we have to have those conversations. And one thing that I've always enjoyed is listening. And so we are going to listen uh, to our employees, to the public that, who we serve. And um, I feel ready. You know, and I say that from, you know, I, I say that from a place that I've always worked on these issues on every job that I've had. I was very proud that I left PennDOT and we had the highest number of women as well as the highest number of minorities who had ever worked in that agency because we worked on that challenge of improving and um and advocating and promoting women and minorities every single day. And that's what we are doing here. And uh, so it is tough conversations. It is, it is challenges um, that uh, do not have easy answers. Um, but I am so ready uh, for this tough work ahead of us. And uh, that's not to say I'm not uh, nervous about, you know, making mistakes along the way. I know this is not going to be a clean, linear path where we always move forward every single day. I know we're going to make missteps. I know, um, you know, we're going to, to um, you know, as I would say, step, step in the mud in places, and we're going to have to clean ourselves off and, and start over again. In fact, this Thursday, um, we have a town hall meeting. We've been hosting several town hall meetings during this uh, pandemic when we can't all be together. And I think it's important to connect to people and to give the, our employees an opportunity to ask questions, make sure everybody's updated, and if they have any concerns, a uh, chance to voice them. And this Thursday, our town hall has the title of Your Voice Matters, 
courageous conversations about racial equity. And so uh, I will be joined with um, our um, Equal uh, Employment uh, Opportunity uh, Director, uh, who deals with many of these issues on a daily basis. Um, uh, our Director of Media Relations will be our, um, our moderator, and I'll also be joined by the Chief of our Transit Police. Um, and just so you realize, uh, those listening, that will be a panel made up of two black women, one white woman, and one white male. And we will be starting this very um, sensitive and difficult and necessary conversation together. And it will be the beginning. And uh, we, will, we will set uh, the foundation. And we are committed uh, to um, really addressing um, issues here and making sure that there is long-lasting change um, here uh, at SEPTA. So, Leslie, at this point, I want to turn our conversation to Amelia, who is, as we introduced, a student at Temple University. So someone who is right here in Philadelphia, who I'm going to imagine is using SEPTA (laughs) as she is uh, living out her term at, at Temple, although she's not there right now, and give her the opportunity as a student in one of our local universities, a Philadelphia resident, and, you know, somebody who's also deeply interested and engaged with um, the people of the city to offer, to offer up a few questions of her own. So, Amelia, welcome and take the floor. Thank you. So, I really want to pick up on this thread that you were talking about, because I think you're so right that transit is really just emblematic of everything equity with our society, and it's really about providing opportunities for all people and not promoting discrimination. And so, I think that like it does exist at this cross-section of class and gender and race issues that we're experiencing in society right now. So I was wondering, what steps can we be taking to destigmatize public transportation? Right. Well, I really do hope to take the momentum of, of what's been going on for the last four months here. I think the world has seen, and I think our region has definitely seen, that what has allowed us to function and stay safe and stay healthy are the essential workers who have been using our system and how important they are. And it seems like such a disconnect that they happen, many of them, to be the lowest paid, um, you know, workers in in our workforce, right? Um, People who are putting their lives on the line, right, Uh, by uh, having frontline responsibilities. You know, I mentioned some of them before, uh, the people who are getting food to um, our stores so that we... Um, you know, don't have to worry, right, about providing meals and nutrition. Uh, um, the, the, the people who are getting deliveries to, to our door, uh, the people who, again, are keeping um, those who need to go to hospitals to get medical treatment, whether it's COVID-19 related or other life-threatening uh, medical conditions that they have, um, they need transit. And uh, transit is what has allowed them all to get where they need to go safely. And so I'm really hoping that that conversation changes 
and that people start to appreciate what they're doing. Look, we're, I'm also hoping, you know, teachers, uh, they are not, uh, you know, paid at the level uh, as, as many people feel, myself included, that they deserve. I think any, uh, any person who has had to homeschool over the last few months has a new appreciation for what teachers do. And it is, you know, it is unfortunate that when you look at a teacher's pay scale and you compare that to some other um, industries, that it's not where it should be. So I'm hoping that um, the general conversations around minimum wage workers, um, around, um, you know, uh, people who teach, around all of these jobs that we depend on, and again, that allowed us to function as a society over the last four months, um, I hope that gets elevated and I hope people appreciate it and will do um, the hard work that's required, right, to get that information, to get that feedback into decision makers' ears and, and hold them accountable. I mean, that's something that we all have to do here, hold ourselves accountable and hold other people accountable um, to making this systemic change uh, that is needed. And the fact that transit is at the heart of that is, um, again, um, so, so obvious at this point and why I'm so happy to be where I am right now. I get the opportunity to be on the mayor's um, task force that is looking at re reconciliation and different reforms. I also get to serve uh, with, uh, with the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce leaders on what this regional recovery is gonna look like. And so I'm um, really pleased to be such a strong community partner here. Definitely. And I wanna pick up too on that, what you were talking about before with um in terms of providing equity because it sounds like this event that you guys are hosting on thursday is really going to be a great first step towards promoting systemic change with this mm -hmm. and so i was wondering in terms of the longer term uh, trajectory of how you're imagining promoting that systemic change and ensuring that everyone has a chance to be heard what steps are you going to implement and are you planning and SEPTA is planning to implement to ensure that the voices of SEPTA workers of color are being heard Sure. So we're going to provide a variety of opportunities um, for, for people to give us their feedback, right? I think it's so important to ask people. I mean, I can't, I don't know what it's like uh, to be uh, a person of color working at SEPTA. And so it's really important for me to hear. And uh, so uh, one of the first steps we are doing is a uh, climate survey, which is to to listen to what is the climate of working at SEPTA? Uh, what is it like to be a person of color working at SEPTA? What's it like to be a veteran working at SEPTA? What's it like to be a person with a disability working at SEPTA? What's it like to be a member of the LGBTQ community working at SEPTA? And so we are going to be asking questions. People will be able to provide um, answers to those questions, knowing that it will be confidential. Uh, I am, uh, you know, I need to encourage everybody to be honest um, because if they're not honest with us, we're not going to be able to address um, these challenges in the way that we need to. And we're not going to be able to go as deeply as we need to, to change, make these changes if people don't believe, right, that we 
have good intentions and that we truly want to make these changes. And so we'll be reaching out to them uh, with the survey. We will also be forming an internal um, advisory uh, group and we will be asking for applications. We'll be making sure that that is filled with diverse perspectives and we'll be able to run a lot of ideas uh, through this advisory group that will guide us. Um, and so those are a couple of the first steps. Uh, we we want to be able to get those analytics from the survey. And um, we also want to start the tough discussion. So the town hall will be the first uh, tough discussion uh, that we are doing in a larger um, group setting. And we, we often get hundreds of employees participating in the town halls. Uh, and we are also right now discussing... Um, a, a book series that will allow us also to tackle some very difficult um, topics and situations and let people, again, um, share how certain stories have impacted them and hopefully also share their personal stories. And uh, so, again, it is just the beginning, and I, I truly hope that everyone understands that this is the start, and this is going to take a long time, but um, we... Uh, are, are ready to start now and they will see, um, you know, they will see improvements along the way, uh, but it will be uh, continuous and it will be evolving uh, for quite some time. And I really appreciate the fact that you're not trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes with this because we as white people can't, this is not a problem that we've had to face. So from your vantage point, what is the work that white citizens and organizations with white leadership in general need to undertake to engage meaningfully in the movement towards racial equity? Right. Well, I think, I, th I think we have to listen, right? I think we have to um, not, not restrict ourselves or feel like almost paralysis because we're scared of saying something wrong, right? We're scared of offending someone else. I think we also have to be really honest. I always start these conversations with acknowledging the fact that I am here with the best of intentions. I don't want to say anything that offends anyone in any way, shape, or form, but I realize as we tackle these difficult challenges that are in front of us, you know, that might happen. And call me out on it because I want to know. Um, again, I would never be doing it deliberately, but it could happen. And um, I, I just wanted, you know, I want them to point that out to me and that there will be no, um, you know, uh, nothing will happen to them uh, if, if, uh, if, if they point that out to me, because I, I do realize, you know, being a leader in this very large agency, sometimes people will feel that they can't be honest with me for fear that something negative could happen to them as far as their promotion opportunities or as far as what they're able to do uh, in their job responsibilities. And so I think, you know, I think that, you know, is very important. I also, you know, I've been thinking about that um, a lot and I realized that I have, um, you know, I owe it to a lot of white men uh, who have given me opportunities uh, to to be in the positions where I am, and I fully acknowledge that, and and I acknowledge the fact that as my career was developing, 
for the most part, white men had those positions that could make those types of changes. And so I'm very grateful. Um, and so I realized being a white woman, I now am in one of those positions that I could really help um, people of color and give them a voice. And I want to do everything uh, that I can uh, to make sure that I don't waste any opportunities that are in front of me. And again, uh, knowing that um, I have an opportunity here. Um, first of all, to let everybody know that uh, this is how SEPTA is moving forward. I don't want anyone questioning, um, is this a serious effort or not? Um, is it, you know, we've tried this before. I mean, there are people that have been here for decades, right? And these issues have, have been here for decades and they have not seen the changes that they've wanted to see. And I don't want them to be frustrated by that. And so again, um, working together and, and in no way is racial inequity only an issue for people of color. Um, it is an issue because we are missing these diverse perspectives um, in important discussions and how we move forward. Um, all of the data, I'm a scientific data-driven person, all of the data shows that the more diverse perspectives that you have around a problem, the better um, options you will come up with uh, so that you can consider and how to solve that problem. And so who would not want, um, you know, the best options every time you have a serious problem? And so by making sure that we have um, diversity in those discussions, SEPT is going to be a better agency. You know, we're all going to be better for it. And so everybody wants um, you know, SEPTA, again, to have the best options, to be the best authority, uh, to serve uh, our communities in the best way possible. And that's only going to happen uh, when we get these diverse perspectives around every single decision that we make. One of the things I want to comment on, first, I want to thank Amelia um, for really coming up with and offering questions that can take us even deeper into the conversation. So thank you, Amelia. Uh, and then I want to just acknowledge the nature of the leadership that you're representing here. And this notion that standing in front of a group and saying, you know, here's who I am. Here's what my intentions are. I know that I'm not always going to get it right. I know that I'm going to make mistakes. I know that these are the feelings, you know, we've been here before. We've heard people say this is important and that it's not um, both creates a high threshold for you to live up to, right? Which I know you've made a commitment to do your whole life. And it also is an act of leadership that it's not just, you know, follow me, I'm going to take you somewhere. And then people have to wait and see and surprise what that might be. But it creates a space where humans can connect, connect on a more human level, right? And no matter what your position is or what office you are sitting in, that it bridges that gap that can often ex exist between people who work in an organization and the leadership of that organization. And just want to note that because you did a such a beautiful job of articulating it. I think it's a great model as we think about leadership. What do we need to say that we might be thinking or feeling anyway, but the act of saying it out loud becomes so important for many reasons. Yeah. For, for me, um, I feel... I feel honesty 
is, is really powerful. Like I feel if people understand where I'm coming from, um, then I can do my best work and I can inspire others uh, to do their best work. Um, it, it's funny that you say this because just, just last week I had a conversation um, with, with uh, the chair of our board and he was talking about my leadership style to um, the managing director of, of Philadelphia. And they said, and he said this, which I thought was interesting. He said, um, you know, Leslie doesn't lie. She tells it like it is. She can't even lie if she wanted to. And um, I thought that was interesting. Not that men lie all the time or anything, but it would never even dawn on me to try to trick someone into doing something um, because I so believe in what we are doing. And, and I think it's really important for people to understand why they might not agree with me. I get that. And, and trust me, people disagree with me all the time. But I think they need to understand where I'm coming from and why I think it's important to move forward in that way. And I would never try to trick somebody into believing what I believe. Um, and, and I also... I also invite those tough, awkward conversations that make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. I think they're so important. And when you're willing to have those um, messy, awkward conversations and, and work through them, I think that's really when you're able to have an impact. And by being in denial um, or by trying to work around, which I think is what you know, that conversation, uh, was about, um, you know, and saying that I, that I don't lie, um, you know, you, you can hit it straight on and then you don't get all this after, you know, uh, you know, this aftermath to, to clean up because you've, you've hit it straight on. You've been clear about what you want to do. You let people know why or why not, uh, you know, things can't move in a certain way. And, and then, and then you, and then you take, uh, you know, and then you take the path forward. Uh, I also think that being honest and, and sharing your intentions with everybody, to me, takes the stress off my shoulders. Um, the biggest stress I feel at this job is I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I don't want to waste a minute of influence that I may have here, particularly at this moment in time where the conversation is around race equity. I don't know when we will have an opportunity to address these serious challenges that have been around for hundreds of years here that I, I will admit I am learning every day how deep and how um, long um, the world has been unfair um, to others, right? And um, I'm learning every day. And this is a very special moment. And I feel extremely fortunate to be here and to address these challenges head on in a very honest way. And I think we're going to be able to get a lot done. And like I said, I do not want to waste uh, a moment of it. So Leslie, as we're wrapping up today, one of the ways that we typically wrap up our, our episodes is with um, inviting a the listeners to engage with a question, a query, something courageous, something that maybe brings them a sense of pause or wonder. 
And so I'm wondering, as you're thinking about your final remarks today, what is it that you would want to, you know, pose or offer up as a final thought? A lot of things that we discussed. Um, I, I, I liked uh, when we discussed a bit, you know, about holding yourself accountable and holding others accountable. I think um, it is truly important. Uh, you cannot do this work alone. You know, I mentioned about, you know, asking for help when you need it. And so I think, um, you know, knowing who is that support system that you have and who is the person who is going to be holding you accountable, right? Who is going to be telling me, um, Leslie, you're really not doing enough. I've worked with you this long and I know that you can do more here. Or Let's address this, you know, straight on. Um, I, I think find those people who can help propel you and who can help, uh, you know, and, and, and when you've lost your way, because these are going to be challenges. You're going to be hitting yourself. I'm going to be hitting my head against a wall um, when I get frustrated and I don't know what, where that path forward is. Um, who, who can I lean on? So I would want the listen, like figure out who that support group is. Um, and that can help you um, keep the conversation moving, moving in the right direction. It's, it's not going to be easy. And also question yourself when you look at that group. Is, is that a diverse group that you're surrounding yourself with? And if it isn't, take a look at who, um, who the women and the men of color around you are and how can you reach out and help them? What is it that you can ask them about, you know, where do they want to be in five years? How can you help them get there? Um, because I think now is the time to truly um, have those questions and you will be able to also um, help. We know that we need more people um, having these discussions um, with diverse perspectives. So what, it is, what is it that you can do to make those discussions filled with more diverse perspectives? And so many really important things to think about. Um, so I'm just going to recap them for people. But in terms of, you know, who is your support network, both for the purposes of supporting whatever it is you're trying to move forward, and then who's part of that support network? And does it represent a diverse group that's going to both bring all of the opinions that need to be heard and all the voices that need to be heard? And as you said prior, able to bring those solutions to the best possible solutions or opportunities that can be created. It's, it's also important for that conversation, you know, ask um, when you've identified um, who you want to help and, and who you, you might be able to help, you know, ask them if they've, what type of racial bias they may have experienced, right? Because that will truly be eye-opening as well. I'm listening to people at my level now talk about being pulled over, right? because of the color of their skin or not feeling comfortable in certain neighborhoods after a certain time. Something that I would have assumed that somebody who made it to the CEO level of an organization would never have to deal with. Um, but 
that's not the case. And so it does not matter what level um, you're having these discussions at. It will, it will really um, teach you something. You know, I've, I've heard, I've, I, I, I often hear, you know, it's, it's important to learn. Um, but as you learn, it's also important to unlearn things that you assumed um, you need to, to take another guess at as well and take another look at. Thank you, Leslie. And thank you for, you know, I think this final invitation of, for all of us to courageously pursue the things that maybe we've been nervous about pursuing, we weren't aware we needed to pursue, and to hold ourselves all accountable and each other accountable for getting better and doing better because we're all in the business of people, right? Whatever role we exist on, we are all in the business of caring for people. So I can't even express enough gratitude to you. Thank you for coming on and for sharing your experience, um, your wisdom, your leadership, and your humanness with this audience. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for doing what you do. And Amelia, I hope you have a wonderful experience here. I really enjoyed your questions. Thank you so much for answering everything. It has been such a pleasure to get to hear about all the work that you're doing towards this, towards such amazing goals that are so necessary in this critical moment. Right. And transportation's not boring, is it? I always get asked that question. <laughs> and so for listeners, keep the dialogue going. This episode will be all over social media with opportunities to engage and engage in the conversation. So please join us there. And as we continue this dialogue of women leading in, uh, with productive curiosity and leadership roles, we're interested in, hear what you ha- in hearing what you have to say. So please stay in touch with us and engage in the offerings that we're making out there on social media. And we will be back again next week with another episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to experience the full game-changing potential of the questions we explore, be sure to add your name to our mailing list at www.couragetobecurious.com. Our subscribers receive weekly notification of the podcast, along with specific tools for using these questions on a daily and weekly basis to create positive and powerful impact. As always, the questions we explore on the podcast can be found in our Live, Lead, and Love with the Courage to Be Curious card decks that are available at liveleadlovecourageously.com. And if you're interested in harnessing the power of productive curiosity for your company or organization, contact us about scheduling a professional development experience. In the meantime, keep wondering your way to brilliant.